Welcome to Living Chassidus. Together, let's live the Chassidus we learn. Awesome. Okay, Shelly, you are on. Hi, everyone. I love Yosefa's photo. I don't know who's Yosefa, but that baby is adorable. <laughs> um, okay, everyone. So, oh, we see you. <laughs> So um, basically, my name is Shelly, Shelly Atara Man, and um, I came across uh, Living Chassidus through my job uh, with Rabbi Jacobson and through my educational company called Chabad Learning Foundation. And like Michal said, I sometimes post all kinds of uh, motivational posts from the Rebbe's, from the Lubavitcher Rebbe's sayings and teachings with a picture of a child or, or children doing something. And sometimes people, you know, call me and ask me about it and I explain why I posted it. And sometimes we have a Zoom discussing it. So uh, this is a really great initiative. And Chinuch is so uh, apropos right after uh, Shavuos when we received the Torah. So I would like to discuss a few things with you today that might be also a panel for a bigger discussion. And I'm very open to questions. So even when I'm talking, you can definitely stop me if you have a major question about it, or we could leave it for the end and everyone can just ask their questions and we'll bring and talk about it and uh, brainstorm ideas. So basically, some of my experience in Chinuch comes from the years that I worked as an educational director for preschools, mainly infant toddler programs, and then also preschools. And today, my work has no specific age. I sometimes teach women, seniors, babies, uh, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds. So it really it depends. But what I learned is that Chinuch across all ages, it has very, very similar guidelines. And like the Rebbe said, in some of his, um, uh, he has the, the idea of Miftav Chinuch. And in his Miftav Chinuch, he spoke about people who need to be educated either young in years or young in knowledge. So sometimes a person can have a whole life without any Torah learning. And sometimes a very small child could have a lot of Torah learning. So I want to start with a very uh, short story that many people know, and you might have heard it before, but I think that there is a lot to learn from that story. And I wanted to specifically start with it because that kind of embodies the Rebbe's vision on Chinuch. So the story is um, from the Semach Tzedek and his grandchild, uh, the Rebbe Rashab. And when the Rebbe Rashab had his birthday, I think he was about four or five years old, he came running to his grandfather, the Tzemach Tzedek, and he was crying. And he said, why didn't Hashem reveal himself to us? Why did he reveal himself to Avram Avinu? And he can't reveal himself to us. So the Tzemach Tzedek looked at him and he smiled and he answered him, when a man is having a bris at 90 years old, that choice to make a bris and the pain that goes along with it, he earned to see Hashem. But the, this story has so much more into it. And the Rebbe Rayat speaks about it a lot. And he says, can you imagine that a four-year-old child runs to his grandfather and truly cries, truly crying as if you didn't give him a lollipop or he didn't get a toy that he wanted and is truly crying, why isn't Hashem revealing himself to me? Can you imagine such a connection that a child can feel that yearning to see Hashem? 
And this is what the Rebbe Rayatz and um, our Rebbe spoke about. He said, how can children at such a young age understand this, connect this connection to Hashem? So the answer to that is that children are inherently connected to Hashem. We are all connected to him. And the younger we are introduced to it, you might be able to see a small child loving the Torah and loving mitzvahs without needing any bribery of candy and nuts like, like the Tzemach Tzedek spoke about. We are living in a time where children are so, they're just connected to Hashem with no prior knowledge. They don't need to know anything. If you tell them something about the Torah and about Hashem, they will truly connect to it right away. And this is something that we should all discuss because sometimes as parents, as teachers, uh, as even, you know, mothers in, and, and having just like even friends, you sometimes might think, you know, it's not worth discussing this. This person might not understand it. Oh, my child is too young. They're not going to understand this concept. But on the contrary, children do understand very lofty concepts because they have an ashama. So let, let's go back and understand ourselves. We are made from a physical body and a neshama that Hashem breathed into our body. The whole creation was created in Mama Hashem. Hashem said it and it was created. But when it came to man, he breathed our neshama into us. Now I listened to a lecture by Rabbi Sheistel not long ago. And he said when his daughter was young, he was, he was doing a fabringen for the girls in her class. And they were trying to explain how, he was trying to explain to them the effort that Hashem made to put the neshama into us. And he brought two girls up and he said, one of them should breathe into a bag and one of them should speak. And they wanted to see who is going to get tired faster. So obviously the person that breathed into a bag, it's much more tiring. It's easier to, to say things and to talk and to continuously talk and not stop. So Hashem put a very big effort to put a neshama into us that is a part of him. So inherently, no matter what we do, if we, are, if we feel the connection or we don't, we have a part of Hashem in us. And when you're a child or you're an adult, that part of you needs to have some connection. And if it doesn't, then you start feeling lost. You start looking for things. You start feeling unhappy, depressed, all these things. So when we understand that a child is just as capable as us to understand lofty concepts, we can teach them Yiddishkeit at a very young age, and they will grow up to be much happier people. So basically in Shavuot, we talk about accepting the Torah. When we receive the Torah, basically Hashem said, I'll give you the Torah, but I want guarantors. Who is going to be a guarantor that this Torah is going to be used properly? So they said, okay, we'll give you this, we'll give you that. Hashem said, no, none of the things that the people said they will give was good enough for Hashem. Not the women, not any other household member, the children. When they said, we will teach the Torah to our children, Hashem said, yes, these are the children. And for them, I will give you the Torah. So before we even get into anything about Chinuch, it is our obligation to Hashem to teach the children the Torah because we promised them that they are the guarantors that will make sure the Torah will be in the world. Now, Hashem didn't want to force us to have the Torah, but he understood with the way that we are made that the Torah is the only way that we will have a good 
and healthy life. So this is before we even get into anything, understanding that is very, very important. Now in 1967, the Rebbe started the Miftzaim. There is 10 Miftzaim that the Rebbe spoke about. And the idea of the Miftzaim was to bring Jewish people who are considered lost in the world, no matter if they're a child or an adult. And there was a term that he coined. He coined them um, Tinokot, what is Tinokot Shenishvu? Tinokot is babies, Shenishvu that were taken hostage. When somebody is taken hostage, their freedom is taken away from them, right? We received the Torah when we came out of Egypt. The first tool that Hashem gives us in order to claim our freedom and to live properly is the Torah. The Torah gives us freedom. Why? Because it connects us to our source. The source that is not always understandable by our mind, but is understandable to the neshama. So when children and adults are not living a Torah life, they are living like hostages because they are just feeding them their mundane existence. They're not feeding their neshama, their godly part that is connected to Hashem. The neshama is like a light and you have to light it. And if it's not lit, it's not connected to Hashem. So people who do not live a life of Torah or children that were not taught any Torah or any mitzvahs and are not engaging in mitzvahs are living like hostages. I, for example, did not grow up in a religious home. And the first time that I heard about Hashem, I was about eight years old. That was the first time I realized that there is Hashem, that there's a creator to the world. Can you imagine? I was considered a hostage until the age of eight when Hashem was revealed to me and I knew what a sitter was, I knew there was something called prayer and I understood that you can connect to Hashem through prayer. So that was the first time I truly felt a spark of freedom. And so many of our Jewish people are living like this, unfortunately. They don't know their heritage. They don't know why they're lost. Now, if we can give this to children at a very young age, we are going to give them freedom and an opportunity for a beautiful life. Now, the Rebbe says something beautiful, and this is why I love this idea of the Mifzaim that the Rebbe said. First of all, what is Mifza? Mifza comes from the word Levatzea. Levatzea in Hebrew means to do. Mifza, you got to get up and you got to do it. You have a concept, you have to do it. And when it's like in the army, they have a Mifza, they get it done. And when the Mifza is done, when, the, when it's accomplished, there's results, there's a lift, there's something that got created from this mifta. And this is why the Rebbe gave it a word like that, because it needs action. It's not just an idea. We actually have to act upon it in order to, for it to have life, to have effect on us. Now, it's very interesting that the Rebbe said, don't cry over what's past. It doesn't matter what age you are. You learned about this now, now is the time to act. It's never too late. That's what's beautiful about being Jewish. It's never too late. Even when you think about it, there was one time, there's a beautiful story. This guy was very depressed. He was 50 years old. He's very rich, but he, was, he felt not accomplished. So his wife saw him dwindling away. She's like, I don't know what to do with my husband. She said, go to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I hope I heard that he helps people. Okay. He had the money, took a plane. He came to New York. He goes to see the Rebbe. And the Rebbe asks him, what happened? And he tells him, I feel depressed. 
I haven't done anything in my life. I'm 50 years old already. So he asked him, do you know who is the best leader for the Jewish people? He said, of course, Moshe Rabbeinu. And he said, do you know how old he was when he was leading the Jewish people for the first time? He said, I don't know. The Rebbe told him he was 80 years old. He was 80 years old when he started to, take the, the, to, to lead the Jewish people. If Moshe Rabbeinu was 80 years old, he was able to do this. You're 50. You have so much more to go. And he said, do you know why he was so successful in what he did? Because he never looked back at what he didn't do. He looked forward at what needs to be done. And this is what we need to do. It doesn't matter what we did until now. I didn't know Hashem until I was eight years old. But from the minute I knew Hashem, it only grew from there. There's no time to cry whatever we didn't do. Oh, I have a child. He's eight years old. He doesn't, you know, now I have a baby and only with my baby. It doesn't matter. Now, one child is going to be older. He's going to be able to accomplish with what you have. And your baby will know from a younger age. It's okay. There is no right or wrong. But the minute we know, it's a mifzah. We have to go and do. Action is required. Now, it's very important also that when we come to, to teach children, we're not here to lecture them. We're not here to say, do this, or you know, Hashem will be mad at you. No. We have to be a living dugma chaya. We have to be a living example to what we want our children to be. If our children will see us, you know, I, I, last year I went to a, a chinuch conference and they said something so beautiful and I knew it, but I needed to hear it one more time. You're, you know, you're, you want your children to know that they need to tow volcano, okay? Then take them with you when you're buying new dishes and dipping it in the mikvah. How are they going to know that they need to do this? When you tell somebody something and when you're showing them, they have a, it's a different image. They have a pictorial image in their head. Children learn from images, from memories. You know how sometimes you can smell something. So oh, I remember that from my childhood. Or you see a yogurt. Like, oh my God, that was my favorite yogurt. Children need to see, make it real for them. You're making challah. Women need to do a freshet challah. Make the challah with your children. Do the blessing of a freshet challah with your children. I go to preschools and I do a freshet challah with the babies. Seven months old needs to see a freshet challah. How will it ever be dear to them? If the more a child is introduced to these things, they will be like the Rebbe Rashab. They will cry, I want to see Hashem. When a child hugs the Torah and loves the Torah and that's his happiness, you know you've done a good job because it's not something that you had to bribe him to do. This is his reality. When a child is raised into that reality, that becomes their reality. That becomes their world. That becomes their life. There is no doubt that a person that did teshuva, and it was, you know, it was said by any Rebbe and by the Lubavitcher Rebbe himself and by all of the people, everyone knows that the makom shel ba'alei tshuva, nobody can stand. So if somebody is about tshuva, of course, you can't compare it because it, they chose that kind of life. They realize that it's a better living. They realize that it causes happiness that no money can buy. And they chose that life. But if we can give it to our children since they are born, even when they are in our stomachs, why not give it to them? If we know it today, why not act upon it? If it would have been an option, you say, okay, I don't want to live that life. But it's not an option. We are the children of Hashem. We receive the Torah. We have to live by the Torah. If we don't live by the Torah, 
we are not going to be complete. We're just going to walk around unhappy and we are not going to know why. And the more children see us do mitzvahs in happiness, in joy, they're going to enjoy it. If your Friday looks horrifying and from the minute you get up to the minute you light Shabbos candles, it's a horrible experience and you're rushing and nothing gets done and, and you're screaming at this and this one, then, then the kids are going to hate Shabbos. So they're going to grow up and say, oh, I don't want to keep Shabbos. It was a dreadful memory from my childhood. But if we do it in Simcha, if we prepare for Shabbos all week, so on Monday we buy something for them for as a candy. On, on, on uh, Tuesday, we're going to buy the fish. On, on Wednesday, it doesn't matter how you do it. Everybody does it the way they want to do it. But if your Friday is special, if every time you see someone and you don't turn away, they ask for, for money, you give them a coin, even if it's not a dollar, a coin, you give them a penny, then your child sees that you need to help another person. When you do things with a smile, then children learn to be pleasant. When you're stressed out and you say, I need a minute to, to think for a minute, hold on one second, they will learn to be that. But if we ourselves are scattered and don't are not connected ourselves, how can we connect anyone else? And the first thing that before we even teach our children is working on ourselves. And I always say it to teachers and to directors, in order for you to run a school, in order for you to run your household in a calm, in a loving way, in a Torah way, you need to find connection yourself. You need to dig in yourself and see where do you need a connection first. There's a very beautiful story that I heard from Rabbi Lifsh. Rabbi Lifsh is a Chabad rabbi from, um, I think it's Ramat Aviv in Israel. He talks very nicely about the Parsha of the week, the Parsha of the week, Ba'alotecha. And it says, Ba'alotecha et nerot instead of saying you should light the candles and when you lift the candles what do you mean lift the candles why do you have to lift the candles the candles are supposed to be lit it's because when you light something when you light a candle it's supposed to lift you up our neshamas are like candles so he, he says a very nice story about a, a young boy that when he met this man, it was in the 1950s. He talks about a rabbi. His name is Rabbi Yossi, I think. It was in the 1950s. They had a big siyum ashas. It was seven years before, and, and they were doing the siyum ashas, and that rabbi was so ecstatic. At the end of the day, he was going home, and he met this guy, Yankale. And he sees Yankale with his hat, and Yankale sees him, and he says, Rabbi, I want to tell you something. I so want to be in siyum ashas, but I never finished the shas. Said, when I was little, it was in the 1930s, I was a very bad student. I used to go to school, nothing would stick in, and my parents would wanted me to just know a little bit, a little bit of Gemara, a little bit, something. My parents wanted to see something that I, something from the Mishnah, they wanted to see me learn. They wanted to, for me to have Torah in my life. So my father one day comes to me and he says like this, he says, look, Yankala, if you're gonna learn a little bit of Mishnah, when you're finished to learn a full page, I'm going to give you this coin. He opened this napkin and he showed him a gold coin. It was a beautiful gold coin. He said, Yankala said, I went to my room and I didn't think anything but about this gold coin. Gold coins were in my head. I didn't care. I was willing to do anything. Next day, I go to school. I'm like, I'm going to learn. So I learned two sentences in the Mishnah. I came home. My parents were waiting for me. It was a Monday. Parents were waiting for me in Shabbos clothes. They were so excited that I took upon myself to learn and I recited those two sentences. The next day I went to school and again, I worked hard, I, learned, I tried three sentences and every day that I came home, my parents were dressed in Shabbos clothes 
waiting for me to recite what I learned that day until I finished the full page and my father gave me that gold coin. And then he says, unfortunately, the Holocaust happened and they came in, my whole town was burned. I somehow ran away from train to train. And the only thing I know in my life, I have nothing but that one mission of page that I learned. And he said, in my head, I was reciting that mission of page all along. And my parents remembering them with their Shabbos clothes and how much they wanted me to be a Torah learned man. They were willing to do anything. And I, the whole time, all these years, I'm reciting that Mishnah. Until today, he said, I'm an old man. I have nothing. I have a store. Doesn't make a lot of money. That Mishnah page is running in my head. I never finished the, you know, I never finished the whole, the whole thing, but just that Mishnah. And the Rebbe tells him, you know what? You're definitely going to be in Siyum and I will give you my Siyum if you give me your page. Because he said, you did Teshuva. You did what you did. I can't. But when I listen to the story, aside to the, to, to, to the him trying all his life to say that, that page that he learned, which really saved him on an emotional level. Imagine he didn't have that. It was the only memory he had from his parents that was lively and meant something to him because it meant something to his parents. So it kept him emotionally alive because after the Holocaust, many people had no, had no reason to do anything. And he somehow still, there was something that, that spark in our neshama that's connected to Hashem, that's connected to the Torah. But the memory of his parents wearing Shabbos clothes for him to learn Torah made it dear to his heart. So what we do matters to our children. If we show them that we care, then they care. And that's what kind of like struck to me that his parents did, because the story was not about that. Rabbi Lift was saying it to show the, his effort, but I saw the parents' effort, what they instilled in him through their behavior. And that I found was very interesting. And talking about lighting of lights, one time somebody came to the Rebbe and he said, what do you do? I don't understand your position. What do you do? And he said, I kindle neshamas. And the man, after the Yechidus with him, he said, did you kindle my neshama? And he said, I gave you a candle. Through our Jewish education, through explaining to our children who they are, that they are the guarantors, that the Torah belongs to them, that Hashem chose them, we are giving them a candle to light their neshamas. And once you light it, it brings you up. And the point is not just to light it, that it should always be lit. That when a child sees food, you're not going to have to remind them to, see a, to say a blessing because just seeing the food will say, oh, cookie, mezonot. They're not going to see the cookie. They're going to see the blessing that they need to do. Apple, oh, my eggs. They're not going to see the apple. They're going to see that it's on the eggs, that Hashem gave it to us and it was grown on a tree. And that's the beauty of chinuch, of proper chinuch. Now, I found a very beautiful letter that um, the Rebbe answered to parents that had a problem with their child. And I want to read you this letter, if that's okay, because I think we're going to learn a lot from the Rebbe's answer to these parents, and we can discuss some of that answer. So the letter is from the 24th of Adar, and it was written to a lady, Mrs. So-and-so in Cleveland, Ohio. And the Rebbe says, greeting and blessing. 
I am in the receipt of your letter and will remember you in my prayer in the fulfillment of your heart's desire for good. With regard to the problem of how to deal with your oldest daughter, this like other shalot, like other questions, should be discussed with a competent and experienced Rav to whom you could give all the necessary details and who could then advise you furthermore. A Rav is bound to confidence, to, to confidence. Therefore, you could discuss the situation with him quiet, quite frankly. As for asking for some guidance, I must be quite candid with you, though this may be somewhat painful, but I have no choice in the matter for it is my duty to mention it, even though very briefly. Bringing up children requires Jewish, from Jewish parents several basic principles. Firstly, the parents must always try to provide a shining example to their children, to the kind of conduct that they would like to see in them. Moreover, children usually think that in, in as far as they are concerned, it would be quite sufficient for them to have standards, which, is, which would be quite sufficient for them to have standards, which is only half as good as those of their parents. Consequently, parents must take into, into account and see that their own standards are at least twice as high if they want their children to be just like them. A further point, and his in is too essential, is that it is necessary also to take into account the strong pressure and influences to which children are constantly exposed to in school and in the neighborhood where they live and are raised. And where such influences are negative, the child must be provided with an ample dose of immunization to be able to resist, resist those influences. A third point, and this is also essential, in, in, in it is that Jews have always been a minority among the nations and are of course a minority in the United States, regardless of the demo, democratic principles which are, pressed, which are prof, uh, professed in the country with emphasis on conventional values, it is natural for a minority to develop an inferiority complex in relation to the majority. Therefore, it is necessary to implement in the Jewish child from the earliest, from the earliest youth a feeling of pride of the Jewish heritage and tradition of his parents and ancestors, a strong feeling of Jewish identity. Thus, instead of hiding his or her Jewishness, they will be able to be proud of it without any inhibitions, despite any derision by, derision by non-Jewish neighbors or any prejudice. Individuals, individuals. This calls for the above else instilling into the child the right sense of true Jewish values with priority of the spiritual over the material, as well as of inner peace and harmony over materialistic considerations of career, which, is, which are predominant in the non-Jewish environment. Needless to say, all the above is written not merely for the purpose of pointing out what the past should have been, we have a clear directive in the Torah that a Jew should never despair and there are ways of rectifying the past to some, to some extent at least. Thus, in the light of all that has been said above, it is clear that the parents must at least here and forth conduct their lives in accordance with the points mentioned above by strengthening their own commitment and adherence to the Torah way of life in the daily life in every respect and detail. 
for Judaism is not a way of life that is limited to three days in the year or one day in a week or on a special occasion, but it is a daily experience. Much more could have been said on such an important matter, but I trust that the above will suffice to realize the importance of ordering the daily life in accordance with the Torah and mitzvahs in the fullest measure. Finally, since the Jewish family is like one unit and one body, where a, where a benefit to one part of it benefits the whole, the strengthening of the daily conduct with Yerachamayim on the part of the parents and is bound to reflect favorably on the children, either consciously or unconsciously or both. May God grant you that you have good news to report in all the above. So this is a very, you know, it's a long, it's a long answer. And the Rebbe says, you know, a few things. He says, always have a guide, have someone to discuss this with. You're having a problem with your child. Speak to a rabbi, speak to someone who is learned in Torah and will know how to help you. There was a story that a mother came once to the Rebbe and she said that her child is off the derech and she doesn't know what to do. She has other children in the house and her child left the house. So he said, you know what you should do? He said, make Shabbos very special in your house. Play games with the kids, sit together in the meal, do everything opposite until what you were doing until now. Unite the family. Forget about your child for a second. Worry about the other children and the family. And she did it. She did what the Rebbe said. It was very hard for her. She was worried about her child the whole time. But she said, you know what? If the Rebbe said, I'm going to do it. So she did it. And the older child was talking to the siblings. And all of a sudden, they're starting to tell them, oh, you know, mommy and Tati are doing all these things. It's so fun. And Shabbos is so fun lately. And after a few weeks, he was so curious. He came for Shabbos because he wanted to see what is happening in the home that he's missing out on. And eventually, he came back home. If your home is a happy place to be, if you are celebrating Torah and mitzvahs, your, child are gonna, your children are going to want to be there. The Rebbe mentioned something very, very interesting, you know, what the children have to deal with outside is hard and they're going to want to be there. And if you don't give your child the proper attention, somebody else will. And your child will eventually could leave the house. You don't know. We're living in very rough times. But Hashem promised us that when you live a life of Torah and mitzvahs, you will have prosperity. Your children will be happy. Hashem created the world. He knows what's good for us. It also is said, you know how in Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we're, we're given the blessing for the year, how much money we're going to make, but it doesn't apply to chinuch. If you will give your children better chinuch and decide you want to invest more in chinuch, the expenses of chinuch will come back to you and give you much abundance. And it's, it's, it's something very well known that a lot, a lot of people who tried it know, know it and see it. If you invest in your child chinuch, you will never lose out. It is the one thing that always comes back to you 10 times full. Just like Hashem says, test me with Miser, He says, test me with Chinuch. Chinuch is the one thing that has kept the Jewish nation above all. How can you ex explain it? Small nation, no country. We went through so much persecution and look, we are always on top. We are always making it. The one thing that we have is the Torah. It's the one thing that's holding us as a nation. 
and everyone sees it. The Jewish world and the non-Jewish world, everyone sees it. It's, it's something unbelievable. There is a very beautiful book um, about Chinuch from Aryeh Solomon about the Rebbe's um, Chinuch perspective. And in that book, he speaks about how the vision of Chinuch uh, for the Rebbe was very, very different. It was an approach that one child, the education of one child can affect the whole universe. It's not a metaphor, it's not, it's an understanding that the chinuch of every single child is as imperative as a whole, of, as a whole class, of a whole school. If one child is not doing well, you need to attend to that because that one child is a whole nation. There was a, in this, um, in the directives, uh, in, in the booklet with the directives of the Rebbe about Chinuch and the Mifzayim, he also speaks about the four sons that we talk about in Pesach and that Chinuch needs to attend to all four sons. Chinuch for one child might not be good enough for another child, but that doesn't mean that that child is not capable. Look of the example of the story that I told you, that child could not learn. He needed some extra motivation. He needed his parents to be like a whole army wearing Shabbos clothes, waiting for him. He needed a gold coin. He needed something completely different. He wasn't like the Chacham that runs to school, wants to be there, wants to sit there, no problem, whatever you tell him, he's grasping like, like a sponge. No, he needed a different approach. But when you do that, when you go out of your comfort zone and you try to attend to that, you change a whole world. You can bring a child from failure to success. I'm gonna repeat a story that I said in, in one of our um, physical meetings because I think it's a very imperative story. There was a big uh, Rabbi Mekubal that used to be a teacher in a school. And there was this family that uh, they were very religious but the oldest uh, boy was off the derach and he left the house and he went to live with relatives. And at one point he met this uh, not Jewish lady and he wanted to marry her. And he came to his uncle, he told him and the uncle was very furious. He said, you know, that's even too much for me. Please go to your father and talk to him. So he went home for Shabbos. And of course he didn't keep Shabbos. He was smoking. He was being a Mechalel Shabbos the whole time in front of the neighbors in the house. But the parents didn't say a thing to him. They loved him and they just kept quiet. During that Shabbos, the father goes to a lecture and he tells him, I'm going to this Mekubal's lecture. Would you like to come with me? Apparently that Mekubal used to be that child's teacher. So he says, yeah, I'll go with you. He was very shocked. You know, the whole Shabbos is not keeping Shabbos. All of a sudden he's coming in for a lecture. He said, okay, come. I'm very happy that he offered and they went. So they were sitting down, they were listening. And after the lecture, the father takes his son to the, to the rabbi, the Mekubal, and he said, please, you know, bless my son. And he talks to him a little bit. And the father tells him a situation that he stopped keeping Shabbos, that he's off the derech, and the boy is like accepting of it, you know, he was listening to the whole thing. And the rabbi tells him, did you have thoughts of Hiruim? Like, did you like contemplate that you're doing something wrong and you might be doing, you know, like they should keep Shabbos? He said, yeah, here and there. He said, how long? said 10 minutes. He said, how many times? No, three times, four times, five times. Okay, four times. Four times for 10 minutes? You had a thought that you should be keeping Shabbos. She said, for 40 minutes, 
you were in a place of teshuva, in a place of teshuva for 40 minutes. It's a place that even I can't be. This is a place of, of holiness. He says, this is an unbelievable thing. You were in a place where you were holier than all of us. And after this conversation with this rabbi, he came back home. He left that girl. He became a, he became a Baal Tshuva. He got married. He had a family. And one day the father speaks to him and he said, you know, all is good. I'm happy you came back home, you know, but why did you come with me that day? And he told him when I was a child, that rabbi was my teacher. And they, he was, he taught us something, whatever, and he wasn't there all the time, but he came to give us a bracha and all the children came to him and every child, he tested him. He asked him a simple question. Everybody knew we were going to be asked simple questions just so we get the candy. We knew that. We all knew that. But I knew that even those simple questions, I'm not going to know the answer. I was sweating. I was in the back of the line. I was like, oh no, it's going to be my turn. And he said, one child goes, another child goes, all the children go, and then it's my turn. And everybody's happy. They're all going to know. They're all going to get their candy. And I know I'm going to fail. I didn't study. I didn't know even if I wanted to. I was just not good at it. He comes to the rabbi. He asks him the most simplest questions. All his friends are laughing. He couldn't get the answer. Then he asks him an even more simple question. All, this kid, all the kids are looking at him. Got it wrong. And he tries again, another question, even more simple than the first two. Still gets it wrong. And then the third one, still gets it wrong, puts down his head and he goes out. All the kids get their candy, they're running in the hallway screaming, yeah. The rabbi calls him back, said, come. He said, you know, all the other kids, they tried once, they got one candy. In Yiddishkeit, there's a term of Ishtadlut. You tried once, you tried two times, you tried three times, you tried four times get four candies. With that love, he brought this child back. If he wouldn't go to his lecture that day, he would not be among us today. He would be Khaled. He would marry a non-Jewish woman. He would have non-Jewish kids. The love for Yiddishkeit, the love for the child, that Rebbe saw his neshama. He didn't see his failure. There is no bad child. There is no not knowledgeable child. Every child has a neshama from Hashem. He has the potential to be great. If we take out that potential, if we light that candle, that's up to us. If we fail to see that in every child, there is that light and there is that connection to Hashem, we failed at doing our job. Every child loves Hashem. Every child loves the Torah. It's how we feed it to them. Are we happy with it? If we are not happy with it, how can we give it over? When you don't like something, how can, let's just say you don't like avocado. Can you convince somebody else to eat avocado? No. If you don't like uh, cream puffs, can you, com you convince somebody to eat? No, because you're not passionate about it. But if you love something, 
if you think it's amazing, just the way you talk and your the way you you conduct yourself, the person will want to try it. You know how there's some people that they can like like uh, you know do something and you're like, wow, you make it look so easy. It's so nice. I want to try it because they like it. So everything about their behavior makes you want to. If you're a teacher or if you're a mother and you're singing with the child and you have happiness and liveliness when you sing it, then your child will want to sing it too. They're going to want to listen to the story. They're going to want to keep Shabbos. If you light Shabbos, Shabbos candles with happiness and with joy, your daughter is going to want to do it with you. Mommy, I want to try too. But if you're doing it like, oh, I'm so tired. Let's just do this. You know, I, they're not going to want to do it. So this is where we have a lot of role in how our children view Yiddishkeit and how will one day they will connect to Hashem. And if we can't do it, there's nothing wrong with us. We just have to find what makes us connect to Hashem. We have to work on our connection and then we'll be better conduits for our children. But when we're not having that connection, when we're missing it, then we're going to have a hard time and we're not going to be able to show it in happiness. The simcha of mitzvah is very, very important. Michal, how am I doing with time? Do we have more time? Or should we open it for questions? More? Okay. So there was a, a very nice story that I found about the Tzemach Tzedek. His family used to have um, uh, a latke night on Hanukkah every single year. And latke night, they would say stories that say, say every year. And you would assume that every single year saying the same stories would be, you know, boring. But no, it's very important to repeat stories to children, to explain why these stories are important. And as the children get older, take these stories and ask them, how would you apply it in your life? Why do we need to hear these stories? Why are they important to us as a Jewish nation? So the children not just hear the stories, but it becomes something practical to them. It becomes something useful for them. And how did they do it? Latkenite with food that everyone likes, with food that describes the holiday, with things that kids like. So if you want your kids to like Shabbos, to like Shabbos have a Mesibat Shabbat. Shabbos needs to be fun. Invite children to your home, invite other people to your home. I ask, I do a Shabbos class on a Shabbos morning and I ask the children, what do you love about Shabbos? And two of them answered, we love guests. And I was thinking to myself, they could have said, I love the candy you give us. I love the Torah. I love the bracelet, the pops that you gave us. They said they like guests. So I, I said to myself, it must be that their parents make it so fun for them. And when guests come, it's such a fun experience. So Shabbos for them is having guests and they love it. So what are they doing? They love other people. They're doing When you're able to love another person, you are able to share, you're able to be happy, you are able to be okay if you don't have it all to yourself. You become a better person. Yiddishkeit teaches us to be okay with what we have, to love others, and that doing a mitzvah is the joy of life. 
And the more we do mitzvahs, the more blessing we have. So we're never missing anything. So when will we teach this to our children? When they are 10 years old or when they are babies and they could sit on the, on the guest lap and they learn to love people. If we can do it then, then do it then. And if you didn't do it until now, it's okay. The Rebbe said today, today that you know about it, today is Mifzah Today you're going to Levatzea. Today you're going to, to do it. From the Milah Bitsua to do. And, and this is the power of, of, being, of, of being Jewish and having mitzvahs and having Hashem. It's never too late. You can do things at any time. There's a, um, I used to do a Shabbos class um, for kids on a Thursday in a preschool that I used to work. And it used to be like an outside program. It wasn't programmed for the children in the, in the preschool. And every Thursday, a lot of families and nannies would come. And sometimes the mothers wouldn't come. Just the nannies would bring the children. And 80% of the children were Jewish. And some of them were not. They just enjoyed the singing, whatever. And I used to have a, a musician, a guy that used to sing Shabbos songs. And I used to tell them a story. And I made challah with them. So one day it dawned on me that I'm doing challah with women and children. But why am I not showing them a freshet challah? So I said, you know what? I'm going to show these little children to do a freshet challah. So I make the dough with them. And without telling the kids anything, I said to the kids, now we're going to do a blessing of a freshet challah. Without me saying anything, all the children came around me, put their hands on the dough, and made the blessing with me. And I said to myself, I never explained to them how to do this. I never told them to come around, stand around the challah. I said, there must be there. There's something inside of them that understands that this is a very special moment. So they would come and do the, the freshet challah with me. And then I would give each one of them a piece of dough. And of course, I made sure that I do the freshet challah or I take one of the mothers or the grandmothers that would be there that I know that are Jewish and I would put their hand. And I would make sure that their hand took out the challah with the blessing because only one person can really do the blessing. But teaching the children this idea and I would tell them, we are taking this part because we used to give this to the Kohen and we don't have Beit HaMikdash. And so a person say, oh, they don't understand what's Beit HaMikdash. They might not understand, but their neshama was with us when we received the Torah. And that neshama understands. And when you tell that to a child, don't look for a response, just say it to them. And I said, we used to give this to the coin. Now we're asking Hashem, we don't have Beit HaMikdash, but we're still doing the blessing. And every time you have something whole, you never take the first for yourself. You first take out Maasel and children need to hear it and they need to see it. And even if they don't really have the words to verbalize it, their mind and their neshama understands. And one day they will look to have this habit of separating, of giving to others first. And that's a habit that you can cultivate by just teaching them a fresh challah when you're doing it anyway at home. Now, this was not the story. The main story that I wanted to tell you is that three years later, some of the kids grew older and stopped coming. And I left my job and I was called to do a program for one of the holidays earlier this year. And I went there 
And wherever I go, if it's a holiday especially, I take challah with me, ready challah. Even if it's not my challah, I take ready challah, cookies, prizes for children, because it, Shabbos books, I never know who I'm going to see. And I truly believe in spreading Yiddishkeit. So I take a box with all these things, challah, toys, books, whatever you can think of. And it's always in my car. So I brought it into the synagogue where I was staying for that holiday. And I was doing the program. And the program I, after I did the program, a mother and two children come to me. And this girl is asking me for challah. She's like, Shelly, do you have challah? Do you have challah? And the girl looks familiar. And the mother comes to me and she said, you know, Shelly, my child and her brother used to come to your Shabbat program a few years ago. My child loves challah. And she keeps talking about it since that program. And I said to myself, look how many years has passed. But she remembers the challah. And for her, Yiddishkeit will always be challah. And Shabbos will always be challah. So of course I had challah and I gave them challah and I took her phone number eventually. And I found it through somebody that knows her. And sometimes I send them challah. But the idea that Shabbos was represented to the child through challah from an early childhood experience. The things that we do sometimes, even as by the way, even as smiling to someone, somebody asks you something and you answer them with a pleasant tone, with a smile, that's what your child sees. And they will do the same when they get older. So early childhood education can happen passively and it can happen proactively, but it happens no matter what you do. So everywhere you go and in your home as well, think about your connection with Hashem. Think about what you're doing and what your child is seeing from you. And this is also a way for you to contribute to your children and to their education and to their experience as they get older and become adults and have their own household. Does anybody have a question about any of this? I'm open to, to discussing it. Like Michal said, it's a very... So we had a question that was very interesting and said, okay, that in everyday life, it's, you know, it's very easy to say Hashem, 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 but how do we actually have this in our everyday life? How do we teach our children to love Hashem through our actions, through our behavior, when we're so busy, when we're running from one thing to another? And actually this question is very interesting. And I, the first thing that comes into my head when, when I heard this question was, um, was something that I heard from Shane D. Jacobson about an experience that she remembers from her mother. And she said that that stuck in her head for many, many, many years. And until today, she said that that was a very, very crucial point in her life. And it's a very, it's a, it's a very uh, personal experience, but she shared it. So I will share it too, because it was really on Zoom and it's beautiful. So she said that her mother in the morning would say the brachas out loud and the kids would hear her. And her mother and, and one of the children, I, I think it was her that asked her mother why she does that. And her mother said that I love Hashem and I'm very grateful to Hashem for everything that we have. So I want everyone to hear how much I appreciate Hashem and how much he does for us. So sometimes the things that we do, for example, you're doing a bracha, and I noticed it a lot, okay, I noticed it a lot in Crown Heights. People don't say brachas out loud. Because I'm a bala tshuva, <laughs> I'm very proud of making a bracha, 
and I make it out loud because I want to hear someone else say amen. I have this thing that, that if I'm doing a bracha, maybe somebody else doesn't know that they need to make a bracha. If I say the bracha out loud, they'll hear me say it and they'll say amen or they'll think, oh, I should make a bracha too. So saying things out loud in front of your children might be a good way to educate them. You get something that you didn't expect or you needed something and it came at the right time. Thank you, Hashem. Oh my God, I was just thinking about this. I can't believe we just got it. Thank you, Hashem, for listening to my prayers. Imagine a child hearing you say that. You know, when I used to work in the preschool, all the children knew when they see me, everyone starts making brachas on food. Why? <laughs> because that's the one thing that, that I remember that I was very keen about to make brachas on food and challah, and Shabbos, and, and the kids used to smile when they used to see me do these things because they knew I was very passionate about it. And sometimes they tried to make me happy by showing me that they know how to say the blessing. So when you're happy about something, say it. It doesn't have to take, so you're going from one place to another and your kids are in your hand, but you can say, thank you, Hashem. Your child almost tripped and, and didn't get hurt or tripped and didn't get hurt. So you say, thank you, Hashem. You're safe, Yosele. You didn't get hurt. You know, like show the children that the little things, it doesn't have to be a big, you don't have to move, you know, all the furniture in the house to say, thank you, Hashem, for my strength. It's the little things because we, what do we want the children to understand? We want them to know that Hashem is in the little things just as much as in the big things. We want them to know that it's okay, that some days are going to be hard. It's not easy. But we recognize that the hard and the good is from Hashem. So in every situation, even when the kids see us go through something hard, we should still say, thank God nothing else happened. We're good, you know, thank you. And when we do that, the children learn that the good and the bad comes from Hashem. It needs to happen in the everyday experiences. It's okay if you're, if, if you're in a bad mood and you're, you know, you're, you don't feel like talking right now. So can, can mommy have five minutes? She's gonna breathe, she's gonna think, and then she's gonna listen to you. And, and it's okay. We don't have to be perfect, but we have to teach our children that the Torah is a tool to solve things to do things better, to, to be better at, at everything that we do. It gives us, you know, it's balotecha, it brings us up. And that really is the point of, of, of teaching children to love Torah and teaching them that, that we are not perfect, but we can communicate to them in a nice manner. Because we, we have to look at children, we have to understand, somebody said it to me this, oh, I said something about, like I said to a person, um, babies understand. Um, and she said when uh, she when her baby was uh, small, she went to the doctor and she said, no, my baby has this rash. Can I, is there something that you could do for babies? And he said, no, babies are people too. So, so it's true. Children are people. They understand. They also are moody sometimes and they're also having hard moments. And it's okay to tell them that it's not a perfect situation, but you showing them that you're dealing with it in a, in a nice practical way is, you know, it's like somebody came to the Rebbe once and he told him, I want, you know, success in surgery. 
And the Rebbe told him, why didn't you ask me that you shouldn't have surgery? And, and he said, okay, so I want to ask you that I shouldn't have surgery. He said, no. Initially, you already came with that notion that you will have surgery. I can't, I can't change that. You need to believe in order for me to help you. Being parents is impossible sometimes. Being teachers is, is an ongoing job. But you have to understand that if you were given that specific child, you were given the ability to understand that child. Hashem entrusted that child just to you because you have the power inside of you to help this child and to understand that child in every level. Your neshama is connected to that child's neshama. But in order for you to help your child, you have to first help yourself. You have to find the connection between you and Hashem and find out what kind of connection it is. I, I started to read uh, Sterna's Ginsberg's uh, book, um, the, Your Awesome Self. And she says something very interesting, really in the beginning, before you even start reading the book. You know, people tell you, what is, you know, get into the real world, you know, all this is all nice, but you know, in the real world, it doesn't work like this. What is your real world? Is your real world your connection to Hashem or your real world is this fake world? What is the real world? Wake up everyone. The real world is where we are connected to Hashem. And all the source of blessing and everything that we have comes from Him. Not from anything else. Don't be fooled. The source, Tal Umatal, comes from Hashem. Gishmechem Beito, your, your, your reign in his time is when you do what Hashem needs you to do. It's not from anything else. The late Rabbi Sachs said something very, very, very nice, also connected to just what we do, our children see. He said when he was young, it was not customary to wear a kippah. People were scared. After they come out from shul, they would take off their kippahs and put it in their pockets. And they came out of shul, him and his father, he was maybe six years old, and they started to walk. And a man is running after him, and he calls his father, hey, wait, stop, you forgot your son's kippah on his head. He said, my father turned around, he looked at that man, and he told him like this, no child of mine will walk without a kippah. He said, I was looking at my father and it made a very big impression on me. And he said that today, I know that when a Jewish man walks with pride, the world respects him. And when you try to hide your Yiddishkeit, when you're not so sure of it, when you're ashamed of it, then other people mock you. Rabbi Sachs was well known to be the Lord, the Lord of England, right? And, and he was, he was uh, very well known. And the Prince Charles was, was learning with him. And he said that they were many times in an airplane. And in one scenario, they saw him learning Torah and they sat to learn with him. And they, they did that on a regular basis for years and years and years. So can you imagine what kind of effect Rabbi Sachs had in England without us even realizing? All because his father was a great example of what it means to be proud of your Yiddishkeit. And he saw that as a child. He saw that as a child and it stuck with him. And it stuck with him and he understood that being 
that being Jewish is something to be proud of and not something to put in your pocket. So our everyday, if, if I would have to name it, our everyday actions, that's what's educating our children. Most of their day goes in school. But when they come home and how we behave in the morning and how we behave on Shabbos and how we treat Hashem and what is the relationship that we have with Hashem, that's what they learn from us. And if we feel that we're not so strong about it, then we first need to work on ourselves and then on our children. Why buy a child a book that doesn't have Yiddishkeit in it and have them struggle? Why? Why not give them all the tools, buy them a Torah, buy them a mezuzah, buy them all these things that will give them strength. So when they go outside and see something else, they will know where they're coming from. They're not going to be confused. Sometimes people think, oh, children need to be introduced to everything so they'll get used to it. No, their neshama knows what they need. And everything else is very easy to get used to. But it's enough that outside will be dangerous for them. So don't bring that into your home. If you can bring a Torah and kosher animals, then do that. Why bring a not kosher animal into the house? Then for the kid, oh, this is cute. That is cute. We eat that. I can eat that too because they're both cute. Don't put them into that dilemma. And if sometimes you feel that maybe even the school might need a little help, sometimes the school can overlook things too. If you feel that there's books in the school that might not align with what you're trying to teach your children, maybe point it out to the teacher. I saw teachers that had good intentions, but they were busy and they had children at home. And they didn't realize that in their library, they had a book about all kinds of not kosher animals. And they didn't think it was that important. But it is because if your child sees this every day, that's just as cute to them as the chicken, as the cow, and as the lamb. And it, it, it's, it, you have to be careful with that. I truly believe that what children see and what they sense and what they, you know, hear, and it, it's, it has a lot of influence in them, especially, it, it doesn't matter if it's even a baby, a one-year-old. You know how one-year-olds sometimes they can like, once they start talking, they start like imitating their siblings. That's what's happening in their unconscious. They're seeing everything and it's registering there. You know, we can also, if anybody has questions, if you don't want to say them, you can also type them. We can look at the, at the, at the questions and see your questions and maybe answer them that way as well.